Good morning, church. It's great to be here with you and have you here in the sanctuary also to have folks that are watching us online this morning. And thank you for sharing your appreciation with this wonderful choir and orchestra. They did an amazing job. Last week, we began a sermon series called Holy Habits, and we kicked it off with intentional, being intentional in your life. I spoke to that over in the auditorium, and I shared the scripture that says, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. This choir, this uh, music team, they did it all for the glory of God. I know you were applauding them, and they were giving God all the glory, as were you. You know, it's important that we figure out what God wants us to do and do it. (laughs) It's really that simple, right? And we, we find out what God wants us to do by spending time in his word. So this weekend, we're talking about being grateful, the holy habit of gratitude. And that's something that we really, really need uh, in our life right now. Coming out of a very tough week uh, in, our, in our culture, in our country, gratitude. You know, a lot of times we talk about gratitude at Thanksgiving, but we believe that gratitude should be a holy habit. I'm grateful to have two uh, d- desk drawers full of cards. Uh, one of them is at my house. Uh, it's the top drawer that I keep all the cards that uh, Lynn or family and others have given to me. And you go back and look at them from time to time. But also I have a, a desk uh, my, my, in my office, a desk drawer that has cards kind of stuck in there. And I, I keep wondering why I'm going to say, why I'm saving all those cards. But there's all these cards and little letters and stuff. And I guess I'm saving them so whenever I die one day, Link can look at them and see how people thought about me. You know, I don't know. Because I, I tend to throw away all the bad cards and get rid of all those cards and just keep the good ones. But I did, I did go through the cards recently. Well, actually, uh, and I found a $25 check uh, from uh, dear friends, Homer and Sarah Westinger, that are both deceased. And the check was written December 13, 2006. So, uh, so I'm sure, like me, you have some uncashed gratitude, right? Where people have given you uh, expressions of gratitude that you've never gotten around to saying thank you for. I got one this morning when I got here. I actually was in my box. Uh, Mount Horeb team. I miss going to the internet to, quote, bring up the traditional service because I am trying to reconnect with my Methodist church here in Springfield, Missouri, after COVID has relaxed a bit. But I do tune in some Sunday afternoons, so I haven't forgotten your wonderful music and message. Thanks to all, and tell Jeff hi. So uh, it's those kinds of expressions of gratitude that are, are, are important to all of us. So how do we define gratitude? Gratitude is expressing deep appreciation for an undeserved kindness, for an undeserved kindness, a $25 check written by two special people uh, many years ago that uh, whoever, you know, inherited their estate got 25 extra dollars, so that's good, right? Um, but gratitude is expressing appreciation. Uh, it can be an emotion, it can be an attitude, and most of all, it should become a habit. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, Gratitude should be a habit. As Christ followers, we're given clear direction to practice gratitude, first to God and then to others. In 1 Thessalonians, we read these words from chapter 5. Be, care, be cheerful no matter what. Pray all the time. Thank God no matter what happens. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. Thank God no matter what happens. That's a hard one for us. That's when gratitude becomes a habit, a holy habit. When we thank God, no matter what happens, this is the way God wants you who belong to Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus to live. 
I believe that gratitude is a God-given ability. I believe it's, it's a gift from God to be able to express gratitude, to recognize goodness in our lives no matter what's happening around us and to see goodness in the lives of others. Aren't you thankful for the people who can see goodness in the lives of others? Who can, who can congratulate you or compliment you or just say a kind word because they see something good in you when you don't feel good about yourself? It's a, it's a blessing, it's an encouragement. God wants us to live a life of gratitude. And I cannot speak this morning without just expressing gratitude for all the wonderful volunteers that work here in our church, serve here in our church. Uh, they're, they're up there in the booth this morning, some of them on the cameras. They're making this service possible to be seen all over the internet. So we thank God for them. I thank God for the people that wear blue shirts around our church that serve in children's ministry. And anytime I see them, I say thank you for serving in children's ministry. I thank the Lord for the people that have signed up to host small groups. I was talking to a couple over uh, in, the, in the auditorium just a few minutes ago, and they were searching for a small group uh, of, that would primarily they wanted somebody, a small group that fit their age group. So they were middle ways. They had some high school students. I said, well, two things. One, if you can't find a small group, start one. Uh, you can start one and, and, and begin one. Uh, secondly, you may need to be in an older small group so you can, you know, encourage them. Or you may be in a, need to be in a small group with younger people so you can be a mentor to them, right? Uh, so, again, I appreciate people that are starting those kind of things. I want to say uh, a special thanks to, to my wife uh, because I've been in ministry now. We've been in ministry together for a lot of years. And I could not do what I do in ministry without my wife. And, uh, and, I, and I'm thankful for God putting her in my life. I'm thankful for the call to ministry in my life. But I also want to take a moment today to give a word of gratitude. Thanks if you're listening today, if you're here today, for all those folks that serve in the medical world right now, right? Can we give them a, a, a thanks? Whether, whether they are doctors or they are nurses or they are administration, they are staff, they are tired and they are weary from all the, the, the work that they're doing to try to keep people alive and to treat people, and they're overwhelmed, right? And, and I know this morning um, that the vaccine is an individual choice, and I've, I can not think of very many times, if all, that I've given an opinion from the pulpit. Um, but I would just say to you that Lynn and I were vaccinated very early. Lynn has asthma, and we felt that she needed to get a vaccine early so that she would not uh, have complications. We have family members that have got the vaccine and family members that have not got the vaccine. Um, around 85% of our staff here at Mount Hope have been vaccinated, and it's all by choice. It's their choice. We don't mandate that for anyone. But I do know, and, and, and just looking at it again this morning, that it appears that about 80-plus percent of the people that are in the hospital right now are people that have not been vaccinated. And as we express gratitude for medical people and their profession, they're asking for our help. They're asking for us to help. And so, again, this is not an endorsement of a vaccine or not a vaccine. I would just say, let's be in prayer about that, okay? And let's be in prayer about how God would lead us and guide us through all of that. We, we need to be grateful. Uh, how many of you prayed for a vaccine to come, right? We all prayed that there would be a vaccine that would come so that we could get it back to life. And God sent not one vaccine, but three vaccines, right? And so you had a choice, a multiple choice of what you could do. All that to say, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that there is hope and there is help. Amen? 
Now, gratitude, based on what I just said, and you'll give me some, gratitude is grounded in grace. Gratitude is grounded in the grace of God, right? It is the grace of God that is the basis for gratitude. In fact, the Latin root for gratitude is gratia, and it basically means grace. We receive something we did not earn or deserve is gratitude. Second Corinthians 4, Paul says this way, all of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving, great gratitude, and God will receive more and more glory. How does God receive glory? From gratitude. Your gratitude for the goodness of God, the grace of God, the blessings of God. When we show gratitude, God becomes more and more famous. And that is our purpose on the planet, is to make God more and more famous by expressing gratitude to him and to others because gratitude is grounded in grace. Now, many of us in this room and listening online understands this statement. When we understand the gravity of our situation, we will express gratitude for our salvation. We understand the gratitude of our situation, we will express gratitude for our salvation. Without the grace of God, I would not be standing here today. Without the grace of God, you would not be sitting here today. Many of us would not be alive today except for the grace of God in our lives. Brian Flannery served in the U.S. Army, was deployed to Afghanistan, and can we again say a word of gratitude for those who are right now in these very moments in Afghanistan trying to help get people out of Afghanistan, right? Whether they're military people or they're, they're U.S. citizens or they're friends of the U.S. And we need to express gratitude for those on the very front lines in imminent danger. We need to pray for them and express gratitude. But Brian Flannery was one of those soldiers that was in Afghanistan and there experienced the physical and emotional scars of war. Internal and external pains brought him to the brink of suicide. Alone in his barracks, he swallowed two bottles of pills. And he said, as I sat down on the bed, I laughed and smiled for the first time in two years because I knew that everything was almost over. Despair gripped him. But a soldier who he outranked, a soldier that he never talked to, randomly came into his barracks to see if he wanted to play video games and found him lying there dying. Brian says, he saved my life. At that time, I was an atheist. I had no idea what a God moment meant. But walking outside of his uh, barracks where he was deployed, he saw something called Reboot, and they offered him a free meal. He said, if you're a soldier and they offer you free food, you use it, take advantage of it. And he went into a thing called Reboot, which is the combat recovery faith-based ministry that helps soldiers deal with spiritual and emotional issues. And there he says, I met Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ changed my life. And now Brian works to rescue others out of despair and defeat. He says, I'm so grateful that I learned that God is never the cause of your problems, but he is the solution to your problems. And I would not be here today without Jesus Christ. You see, my friends, when you understand the gravity of your situation, you will express gratitude for your salvation. There are many benefits of gratitude. They're enormous, psychological, physical, social, and spiritual. All kinds of documented studies have been found to express the benefits of gratitude, of giving gratitude and receiving gratitude. 
Our brains release uh, dopamine and, and serotonin and, 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 and hit our, the, the new neurotransmitters that are responsible for our emotions that, that, that change, almost enhance our mood immediately. That gratitude received and given can help us to have more enthusiasm, more energy, decreases depression, stronger immune system, better blood pressure. Gratitude does not just increase life. Gratitude improves the quality of your life. And aren't you glad that God designed us that way? That God designed us long before there were documented studies that the scriptures declared you need to be grateful. You need to practice gratitude because it will make you a better person. It'll make you healthier. If you want a better night of sleep, do not count sheep, but count your blessings. Name them one by one. So many that you can't stay awake because of your gratitude. Count your blessings. I'm grateful for God's grace. And I'm grateful for God's goodness that wired me that way, that wired you that way, that if you will follow his prescription, you can be healthier. Now, the experts tell us that, that, our, that our attitude for the day is set. The attitude, your attitude for your day is set by the first eight minutes of your day. The first eight minutes of your day set your attitude. And if, you're, if you begin the first eight minutes with gratitude, you're going to have a pretty good day. But if you begin your day with grumbling and griping and grunting, come on now. Some of you do that, right? You get up in the morning, you grunt. You moan. You gripe. You complain. You're not going to have a good day because gratitude is sabotaged by grumbling. It sabotages gratitude. Every day our hearts have to make a decision. Will I gravitate toward grumbling or I gravitate toward gratitude. And when we go toward grumbling, it brings pride and fear and anxiety and discontentment and entitlement into our lives. But when we begin with gratitude, it comes with joy and worship and contentment and trust and intimacy with God. Now, we know these stories from Scripture, perhaps. We've read them or we uh, know about them from Exodus 16 following the exodus, then the whole community of Israel set out from Elam and journeyed into the wilderness of sin between Elam and Mount Sinai. They arrived there on the 15th day of the second month, one month, one month after leaving the land of Egypt, one month after being delivered from slavery, one month when the bonds of captivity were broken, there too, the whole community of Israel, what? Complained about Moses and Aaron. They began to grumble. They began to complain. They began to feel entitled. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. How many begin your day with a moan and a groan? There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted, but now you brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. You pick up the account in Numbers chapter 14. God said to Moses and Aaron, how long is this going to go on? All this grumbling against me by this evil infested community. I've had my fill of complaints from these grumbling Israelites. Tell them as I live, God's decree, here's what I'm going to do. Your corpse are going to litter the whole wilderness 
Every one of you 20 years and older who has been counted in the census, this whole generation of grumblers, not one of you will enter into the land of promise and make your home there except for Caleb and Joshua. See, my friends, God is not glorified by grumbling. Somebody say amen to that. He's not glorified in grumbling. Doesn't like it. He's grieved by grumbling. God is grieved by grumbling. And if God is grieved by grumbling, so should we. And if we begin our day with grumbling, we need to confess it right then and say, God, forgive me for being a grumbler. And maybe it would help if our spouse said, don't be a grumbler. No, probably wouldn't work. We'd probably complain about that. But when the Israelites were rescued from slavery in Egypt, it was a picture of God's redemption But when the community complained, they failed to glorify God. And in fact, they began to resent God and Moses. And if you begin your day or you spend your day grumbling, you're going to eventually begin to resent God and his grace. You're going to begin to resent God and his goodness. And that's why it grieves God. In the gift of Jesus, the cross accomplished the redemption for the whole world. But when we build a culture of complaining, we fail to appreciate what God has done and we begin to take the risk of beginning to resent the very goodness of God, the grace of God. People asked, when is God going to do something about suffering? He already has. He sent his son Jesus into this world to make a way for us in the midst of suffering. His grace, Paul says, is sufficient for all of our needs. Not some of our needs, but all of our needs. Grumbling is often grounded in entitlement. Did you know that? John Townsend gives the definition of entitlement. Entitlement is the belief that I'm exempt from responsibility and I'm owed special treatment. It's an attitude that says I'm special. In fact, I'm exceptional and believe that I'm owed something It denies responsibility and refuses to accept responsibility. It is contagious. And today we live in a world gripped by entitlement, consumed by our own self-absorption. And I believe that Jesus calls out entitlement. In Luke chapter 17, we read this account. As Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria, As he entered a village there, 10 men with leprosy stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. He looked at them and said, go show yourself to the priest. And as they went, as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done And this man was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked, didn't I heal 10 men? Weren't there 10 lepers who were healed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. Now, leprosy was a big deal in the Bible. Leprosy was a, a, a horrible disease. People were considered unclean and to be avoided. And the Bible does not suggest that leprosy was caused by sin, 
But it paints a picture of the effects of sin because sin makes us unclean. And sin can separate us from God and from others. And these lepers were alienated from their family, from their friends, from their, 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 their synagogue. And yet Jesus gives them healing. And it's a unique healing. He heals them uh, while they're on the way to do something. He didn't, they weren't healed immediately. They, they weren't healed because he touched them. Is they began a journey and they were healed. Now, we, we got to wonder why the other nine didn't return to give thanks, to praise God for their healing. Now, we can give them the benefit of the doubt and say, you know, they've not been with their family for years. They've not been able to go to the synagogue. They haven't been able to go buy groceries. They haven't been able to do anything for years. And they just really wanted to get back to living their life. But Jesus wants more from them than to be socially well. He wants them to be spiritually well. Where are the other nine? I believe they were all equally healed, but only one understood the gravity of grace and returns to express gratitude. And it's not unique or unusual that it's the Samaritan. You see, when we understand the gravity of our situation, we understand the need for our salvation. This Samaritan knew that something special had happened in his life. Rise and go and your faith has made you well. I believe that gratitude is part of healing. I think gratitude is part of being spiritually well. I believe a person that's been touched by amazing grace, that loves amazing grace, that sings amazing grace, that celebrates amazing grace, also is a conduit of amazing grace. They give grace over and over again because they know the gravity of their situation. I believe there were 10 restored bodies, but only one restored soul. I say often to our men who meet on Friday mornings to pray that we can pray for the healing of these people physically, but if, they don't, if they're not here healed spiritually, what have they gained? Just a little more time, perhaps, to be healed spiritually. It is God's desire for you to be healed spiritually. Jesus wanted these men to be restored spiritually. What I learned from this, this story is, is people have a hard time expressing gratitude. Do you agree with that? That we as people have a hard time expressing gratitude. We have a hard time saying thank you. I shared last week that every time I see one of those people in those blue shirts of children's ministry, I say thank you. And, and you should as well. When you see somebody serving, say thank you. When you're at Publix and somebody's checking you out, on the register. <laughs> so, yeah, I just say thank you. And you may want to say thank you for checking you out. Yeah, I don't know. You know. But, uh, but hey, you know, it may, may do something for your ego. I don't know. But I was thinking more about the people at the cash register or the person that's stocking the shelves or the person that's doing whatever service that you run into because many of them are putting their life on the line with this whole pandemic thing. The second thing I recognize here, and it's a great quote, whatever you don't turn into praise will turn into pride because you begin to think that maybe I did this. And maybe the other nine thought, well, you know, I did this. You know, it was, you know, I did everything I was supposed to do. I got well. How many times whenever God does something significant in our life, we forget to give him praise and it turns into pride. 
And we began to talk about it. You know, I was really sick, but then, you know, I got well. And we began to take credit for the healing or for the miracle. You know, I think about one out of 10 coming back to give praise. What part of you gives gratitude? Is it 10% of you gives gratitude? Or does 90% of you give gratitude? Do you spend 90% of your day grumbling and 10% of your day giving gratitude? We need to reverse that. Where 90% of my day is about gratitude. You know, entitlement says you owe me something and gratitude says I, I owed a debt I could not pay. Entitlement says, look what I've done. And gratitude says, I had a lot of help along the way. And I would confess to you as a pastor for all these years here at Mount Horror, 28 years, I had a lot of help along the way. People want to say, hey, you've done a great job. No, I've had a lot of help along the way. Whether it was my family, whether it was great volunteers, friends in this room, staff that have come alongside, a lot of help along the way. What we don't turn into praise, we'll turn into pride. Now, gratitude helps generate joy. A Jesuit priest said, it is not joy that makes us grateful. It is gratitude that makes us joyful. Joy flows from gratitude. Now, if you're looking for something to complain about, you always find it, right? If you're looking for something to complain about, you always find it. If you're looking for something to be thankful for, you will find it. I say this at 9 o'clock, it's not in my notes, but every now and then I run into an occasional church person that has a lot to complain about. And if you want to complain about something about Horeb, you, you can find something to complain about. In fact, I've said to people before, if you're looking for the perfect church and you find the perfect church, don't join it because you'll mess it up. <laughs> because all of us are broken people, Right? And all of us are flawed and all of us are a work in progress. And there are no perfect local churches. There's a bunch of good churches and there's a bunch of churches that can get better. But folks, if we want to complain about something, we can find something to complain about. You know, I've got to catch myself. You know, as I walk around and I'll see things that I think should be done, I've got to be careful that I don't become a, a grumbler and a complainer. Right, Melanie? <laughs> looking right at me. I think she just wrote something down there. That's right, that's right. <laughs> I'm looking at some of my staff in the room here, right? But, but again, there's nothing wrong with excellence, right? We want to strive for excellence. And we see excellence all the time. But we're not perfect, right? But gratitude generates joy. I love the words that Paul said in Philippians, always be full of joy. I say it again, rejoice. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. And then these words in verse 8. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Becoming intentional in the way we think. Now, I've got to say a word about the power of perspective when it comes to gratitude. There was a professor at Northwestern University, Vicki Medevic, who did a study of Olympic medal winners. This is fascinating. And it's called, uh, she talked about something called upward and downward counterfactual. And I'm not a scientist, and this is way over my head, but I'll try to explain it the best I can. What she found out in Olympic medalists is that silver 
medalist winners were usually more unhappy and dissatisfied than bronze medal winners. That doesn't make a lot of sense, right? Because the silver medal winner beat the bronze medal winner. But what upward counterfactual she found means is that the, the silver medal winners were so close to winning gold, they almost won the gold that they're disappointed that they won the silver. But yet the bronze medal winner was so close to not getting any medal that they were thankful just to win a medal, right? And that's called downward counterfactual. You see, when we live our lives based on what if and if only, then we'll be frustrated and we'll have a hard time expressing gratitude about what could have been instead of being focused on what could have happened. You know, Lynn and I were coming back Thursday from Fort Mill where we had celebrated with Aaron his birthday. And, and we got out of Fort Mill on 77 and just traffic came to a, a stop, right? And you know what, what, what's the next phrase that happens? I told you we should have left earlier, right? If we had just left earlier, you know, we would have avoided this traffic. But we begin to talk about some downward counterfactual. If we had left early, maybe we'd been the one caused the accident up in front of us. But because we left on the right time, we didn't get in an accident. And we get this wonderful time in the car <laughs> to be able to have fellowship together and talk, right? We can live a life of frustration or we can live a life of gratitude and joy. You know, this morning, I want to encourage us to live grateful lives. A letter, dear mom and dad, so much to tell you. Because of the fire set off in my dorm by student riots, I experienced temporary lung damage. I was taken to the hospital while I was there. I fell in love with this orderly. We moved in together. I found out I was pregnant. And because of his drinking problem, he lost his job. So now we're moving to Alaska where we might get married after the birth of our baby, your loving daughter. P.S. None of this really happened, but I did flunk chemistry. <laughs> and I wanted you to keep it in perspective. You see, there is power in perspective, right? Keeping a right perspective. When getting ready for this message, I wanted to get a, a different perspective. And so I reached out to Dr. Jerry Kula, our partner in Liberia, and Prashanth, our partner in India. Dr. Kula has been to our church. He's spoken at our church. Prashanth worked a year in our church. And I want to get their opinion or their idea about entitlement and contentment. And Dr. Kula wrote, I'm just reading parts of this. He said, living in right relationship with God through faithful obedience to Christ and through the teaching of the scriptures, that is the source of daily contentment and gratitude. He went on to say, the forefathers and mothers of America sacrificed their life and their blood to invest into the nation's, nation's future spiritually and socioeconomically. The abundance of wealth that the American society enjoys today is a result of the selfless labor of the ancestors. Do you think he's right? The selfless labor of the ancestors. That history or understanding seems to be lost to many in contemporary generations who are fixated on entitlement without appreciation of God's provision nor the investment of their ancestors. Perspective from someone who lives in the poorest country on the planet. An average income is about $1,200 a year. From Prashanth, who lives in 
probably the second poorest part of the world. Before I got to visit America, my view was different. I used to think of it as the promised land, but after living in the United States, my view changed. God blessed America so much that people are now focused on blessings and totally forgot who blessed them. Now, these two people don't know each other. They didn't collaborate on these statements, but it is their outside perspective looking at the world that you and I live in. He goes on to say, right from groceries to the hospital system, from the postal service to the police, from storage units to vacations. There are so many things to be thankful for, but we do not see many people thankful for what they have where other parts of the world struggle to get their basic needs met. Now, being part of Mount Horeb and learning the generosity of the church, how it impacts locally and globally is amazing. But he says, what equally surprised me was when I saw the number of people who attended a kingdom investment dinner at the church. Now, we have a kingdom investment dinner in the past where we invited people who give an investment to the church to help fund ministries. The threshold on that investment is $500 a year to the church. And then we make an allowance for people on fixed income to allow them, invite them to come, be a part of celebrating all that God has done through those investments. But what Prashant said, what I'm amazing about that investment dinner because the membership list is so big and the people who actually came were so small. I shared last week in my sermon on intentionality that the generosity of our church has been amazing through COVID. It's been absolutely amazing. Uh, we, we've broken every record of giving during COVID and it's because of many of you in this room. But did you know that only about 35% of our actual membership give to the church? That 65% of the people that attend here don't give anything to the church. Uh, I don't believe that honors and glorifies God. And this is not a stewardship sermon, but it's perspective, right? A sense of entitlement. A sense of, I have a place to go, but, you know, I don't make much of a commitment. We, we have a lot of people who don't serve in the church. Now, let me, let me move on. I'm, I'm, I'm digressing here. Um, um, but listen to what Prashant said. It's almost verbatim what Dr. Kula said. Today, America is eating the fruits of the previous prayerful generation. The church is just sitting and eating, but not working or preserving or acquiring fruit for the next generation. The church is sitting and eating, but not working or preserving or acquiring fruit for the next generation. Many people think sharing the gospel, sharing Jesus may hurt somebody's feelings, but if we do not plant these seeds today, there'll be no fruit tomorrow. That's a lot of wisdom. If we don't plant the seeds today, by sharing the gospel, there will be no fruit tomorrow. We are one generation from extinction in the church because we are called not to be entitled, but to serve and to be a servant and to be grateful. So how do we grow in gratitude as we wrap this up? I said last week that information without application will not lead to any real transformation. You can hear all this information, you can read all the scriptures, you can read all the theological books, but without application, there'll be no real transformation. So I'd encourage all of us to begin to pray for a grateful heart. Will you pray for a grateful heart? God, give me a grateful heart. Give me perspective to my blessings because gratitude is a choice. Gratitude is not based on what I feel, but gratitude is based on what I know. That I know that I know that I serve a good and gracious God. And that God has blessed me and blessed you and blessed us beyond measure. And as Trevor preached a couple weeks ago in here, there's something better yet to come. That God has got even greater blessings in store for you. 
Will we be grateful for the fruit of our ancestors and be about the business of growing new fruit for the next generation? Will we spend the first eight minutes of every day not in confessing, not in requesting, but just being grateful? Just being grateful. Grateful for the air that I'm breathing. Grateful that I got the lungs that allow me to breathe. Grateful that in just a few seconds, my feet are going to hit the floor and I'm sleeping in air-conditioned comfort. And I'm grateful for those kinds of things. You see, being intentional will determine your reality. We need to enjoy the little things for one day we'll look back and realize that the little things were the big things. Secondly, gratitude's got to be practiced. It's got to become a holy habit. I gave the men two weeks ago a, a, a challenge to, and I shared it in my sermon last week in the auditorium, but a challenge to do five things, and I'm not going to go through those things, but one of the things I challenged them on, you can go back and listen to the sermon last week, it's there. But one of the things I challenged the men to do was to, let's read the New Testament together in 100 days, starting September 1. So there's a reading plan that we put out. We're going to read the New Testament together in 100 days. And I've got two people that are going to hold me accountable because I'm, I'm you know, they've got to hold me accountable, and I'm going to hold them accountable. But let me just suggest this. How about we... For the next 100 days, starting today or starting September the 1st, is that we start our day with gratitude. Can we, can we give God two gratitudes? One, one give, him, give him thanks for a blessing spiritually that he's put in your life. And don't use the same one every day, right? A new one. You, you, you come up with a new one. And secondly, give him gratitude and thanks for a temporal blessing whether it's air conditioning or whether it's the bacon that you're going to be cooking a little bit later in the morning or whatever it is. Can you give him some gratitude? You know, I was reading a devotional by Mark Batterson, and he talked about some of this, and he says that an observant Jew is required to give 100 blessings a day, 100 blessings a day of gratitude. You know, we bless the meal, right? Well, a good observant Jew will bless the, every part of the meal, that the smell, the taste, the placement, and then when the meal is over, how many of you blessed your meal when it's over? Where you get up and go, all right, I'm ready, I'm good. Not a good observant Jew. They're going to give a blessing when they finish. And for every new thing that happens that day, they give a blessing to God, a gratitude. 100 blessings a day at a minimum. Now, if we'll give two blessings a day for 100 days, we'll get 200 in, right? Let, let's be intentional about practicing gratitude. And then I would say gratitude's got to be expressed. Well, well let me, before I say that, you need to record your gratitude. Keep a journal. Write them down. And when you get to the end, you'll have 200. Now, if you don't, aren't good at journaling, you can be like me. I, I, believe it or not, I found an app, a gratitude app. It's, it's, I'm, I'm serious. Um, it's called Gratitude Plus. And, and I, today I wrote in my gratitudes. And, and yesterday I wrote in my gratitudes. And I've been recording my gratitudes. And then, then you can share the gratitudes with the community of people. From, from Las Vegas, Nevada, I'm thankful for physical therapy because it's helping my back. From, from Knott's Island, North Carolina, I'm thankful for my loved ones. I'm thankful for Scripture. I'm thankful for the Word of God. From Mount Holly, North Carolina, for waking up rested, having friends that make me smile, being able to sleep in tomorrow, a sunny day, seeing my family, a peaceful Sunday. And it goes on and on. Just, just, we, need to, we need to experience gratitude. And, and I would tell you, you need to express gratitude. You need to verbalize gratitude. You need to put it all over social media, gratitude. 
You know, we tend to want to show off on social media, right? How about show God off on social media? How about give some gratitude to God on social media for what God is doing? As we close this morning, our gratitude begins at the cross. Every bit of our gratitude starts right here at the cross because it's where Jesus Christ went to die for the sins of the world. And by his grace, I'm saved. By his grace, I'm standing here today. And I want to encourage all of you to begin at the cross. Gratitude knows the gravity of our situation and how important it is to have salvation. Let me pray with you. Father God, I thank you that today, today we are blessed. In this room or where in our home or in our car, we're blessed beyond measure. And Father God, I pray that as we end this worship service, that we will begin to be intentional about gratitude. Lord, for all of your goodness and all of your grace, grace that is sufficient. And I pray for someone here today that has not given their life to you, someone listening today. Maybe they feel like their life is hopeless, like the young soldier in Afghanistan, the point of despair. Lord God, I know you're not done with them and you want to touch their lives right now. And Lord, I know if we open the door of our heart to you and invite you in, you'll come in and change our lives. And your grace will begin to do amazing things in us. So Lord, I pray right now for a person who needs to give you their life. As we sing now, Father God, hear our expressions of gratitude. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.